0: Go!
1: Sniper arrow on the
0: guard. It strikes true. The guard drops. I move to the doorway. Detect traps. None detected. I enter.
1: Left flank. Right!
0: One hobgoblin Goblin facing east. Backstab. Double damage. Crickle hit. He's dead. Footsteps behind the door to the north.
1: I notch two arrows.
0: I climb the walls to get above the door. Five goblins enter from the north. I fire! Both arrows hit. Cleave! You kill one and wound another. I drop on the last one and grapple. You got a hold of him. This one is for Crouton. With his dying breath, he utters, The Dark Lord! will kill you all. Um, Wait, these things can talk? I want two taken alive.
1: I want to try something. The Fire and Water Podcast Network presents... Let's Roll, the show where we discuss various role-playing games with guests and fellow tabletop gamers. I'm Siskoid, and today I'm honored to have Steve Ellis on the show. You may know him as the comics artist on such books as The Only Living Boy and Girl and High Moon, but he also co-wrote and did some uh, of the art for a role-playing game. We're talking about superpowers the first-class RPG for Third Raid Heroes. Uh, welcome to the show, Steve Ellis.
0: Hi, thanks a lot. Go um, it's good. It's great, great to be here.
1: You know, I've had this this uh, game for years. Uh, you know, I was taken by the cover, I think. So I, I got it. <laughs> I'm a collector of role-playing games. And I like superhero gaming in general. So anyway, I got it. And I, I never... Put two and two together. That is to say, I you know I don't know necessarily the credits on any games just per se. You tweeted about the game, and I just oh my god, that's that <laughs> that is that is the art. That that is one of the artists. And then I, I looked over it, and you know, you're playtester. You uh, you co-wrote it. Uh, you, you know you wrote a scenario about it. So I that's when I reached out.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And we did play it. So uh, <laughs> in preparation for this, I got my group together and. Played it, kind of fussed with it a little bit. So I will have stories about <laughs> how I felt about it as well. Oh,
0: I'm kind of interested to know, yeah, to know what you fussed about. That's cool.
1: And we did enjoy it. So I'm, t- I'm not going to be lying through my teeth. <laughs> so just to put people in perspective as to what this is, uh, Superpowers, it's called the first class role-playing game for third-rate heroes. It's by, uh, well, you know, you're not the only comics person in here. Uh, it's by Fred Van Lenty with additional material by Ryan Dunlavy. Steve Ellis, Carson Jones, and Alan H. Zatko. It's got a cover by Steve Ellis, a uh, cover front and back uh, with a lot of, like, crazy heroes. Interior art by Steve Ellis, Jamal Eigel, Steve Nowak, Ryan Dunlavy, and Rachel Rabinowitz. It was published by Wingnut Games in 1997 as a 32-page booklet. Again, in 2001, that's the one I have, in a 112-page deluxe edition. The premise... I think it would be fair to call it a beer and pretzels comedy game about superheroes with ridiculous powers. Sure. It's a parody of four-color superheroes, but also a parody of role-playing games. And at the same time, it's a playable superhero RPG. So even the back of the book says um, it should be put, like for your bookstore, should put it under humor slash games. So (laughs) they weren't sure. (laughs) Before we talk about mechanics, let me uh, get you in on this. How did you get involved in such a project?
0: Well, okay, so the project actually started back in the early 90s uh, when I was at college. Some of the people you named, uh, Carson, Stu, uh, Ryan, Fred, and I all went to college together at Syracuse University. (laughs) Back then we had a comic book club called Comics Plus, and... um, we'd play we were playing gurps and some other things like that and we just kind of got on a riff talking about really stupid superpowers right and so what we did was we created a uh, like an adventure with using the gurps rules originally creating you know ridiculous powers and ridiculous characters and stuff like that and I mean, as, as some when like, we did several games. At one point, I think we had a game with like 25 people playing it at once with lots of wow. running around and screaming uh, involved because it's that kind of a game. What we realized, like, as time went on, all of us, Stu went on to become a professional photographer. Fred went on to be a uh, comics writer at Marvel. Uh, Ryan is a comics artist and writer who has evil twin comics and does all kinds of alternative stuff with Fred and or indie stuff like Fred. I've gone on to doing role-playing games and comics, and, and we all kind of, and actually, actually Fred also wrote some Call of Cthulhu stuff. So we've all had like this kind of love affair with both comics and games. And so a few years after we graduated, four of us were living in a, in a house together in Brooklyn, and uh, we decided that it would be fun to try codifying it into a you know rule-based game. And so we realized that the GERPS rules and pretty much any other rules that we might have would be way too complex and that the fun of the game was kind of how unique your solution to the problem was. Uh, so often in the games we originally were playing was you know were that you had a real a real threatening you know villain, like Magneto for one, and your power was to make it snow in restrooms and you still had to stop Magneto and so like that was kind of like okay how do we do this and make it work and obviously be funny about it and and we kind of decided some rules like you know the stupidest answer or idea wins and you know like all these kinds of things like that that we kind of codified into the rules but we decided that like you know yeah having too many rules and everything that was too much so let's let's pare it down to like a flip of a coin and and stuff like that and so we we began play testing it just with some friends and then we We brought it to a place called Neutral Ground at one point where uh, they were doing, they had like a big, uh, it was one of the earliest game stores with a playing area. Uh, So we brought it there and a few other places as well, tested it out with some people outside of our friend group to see if it worked. And then we decided to publish the first edition and try to uh, distribute it ourselves. We tried to publish it and distribute it ourselves. So it was kind of like a a project, you know, a, a pretty heavy duty project for you know, people who are also trying to like, you know, live their lives and pay rent and things like that. Right. But um, we we basically put it together, and at the time we decided to go to Origins. So we brought the thirty, I think it was the thirty-two page book one to Origins, and did very well. We sold a ton of them there, which was really exciting. We were like, oh wow! So then we tried to get it distributed, and that was kind of a uh, a really, really difficult thing back then. And then a few years later, we met up with uh, Wingnut Games, and we had been talking about expanding it and putting adventures in and things like that and making the game more playable because one of the things that I think we realized is that we needed to kind of show people how to play the game with adventures and things, like what the way how the game worked and why it was funny and how it could be fun. We then embarked upon not only putting a bunch of adventures together – But also um, doing a, uh, you know, uh, an expansion to the rules so you could continue your characters past level one, because that was actually one of the things people had had requested was that they wanted to be able to continue their characters, which we were that kind of when we originally envisioned it, we were like, yeah, you have fun on a Saturday night playing a really stupid game. And, you know. Not that you would play a campaign, but some people wanted to have long campaigns, so we're like, okay, well, let's figure out rules for that. So we figured out uh, rules for that, and we, and then in that time we gathered a few of our other friends, like um, Jamal Igle, who's uh, who's a really good friend of ours, still is, who is a a DC, pretty popular DC comics and other artist. You know, I think he's working on the Wrong Earth right now, and Lauren Rabinowitz who uh, is also known as the cartoon goddess we we inscripted them and we put out a uh, a larger edition which is the one the one you have the longer 110 page edition with all 100 powers fully illustrated and uh, adventures and all kinds of stuff so basically it was something it's been it was kind of a a lark at first that turned into a really fun game
1: and adventure for us, you know. We ran around and did a bunch of things because of it. I, th- I think people might ask why my show rarely talks about, never talks about Dungeons and Dragons. Or <laughs> It's just I'm more drawn to these smaller games where the tone can be, you know, is peculiar. And I think this is the case here.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And I think my players would agree with you, that uh, <laughs> your original take, that uh, once you've um, created these characters, you go into an adventure, and then it's like, well, I think we did all the jokes we wanted to do with these guys. Continuing the characters. Okay, so this was an addition to the game, I see. Okay.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the original, because if you look at the 32-page one, there was really no there was no character advancement. Right. Even then, we were like, well, you know, I don't know how character... You know, but if people want character advancement, we're cool with that, but... The way we had always played it is you create a brand new character every time you play. Right. And really the fun part of the game was, I think the most fun part of the game was kind of a group. What would you call it? Like not stand up comedy. What do you call it when people, um, you know, the comedy troops that have like where you throw out a word and the comedy troop has to change their their routine to deal with the comment with what you just said.
1: You mean like improv?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like a group improv
1: project. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's weird that I wasn't getting it immediately because myself, all my players were our improv players. That's that's what I actually do in life. Uh, <laughs> oh,
0: okay. oh, wow, yeah. So, so yeah, no, no. Like, I mean, literally, the the fun. I think the most fun part about the game is that, like, if you if you read the rules, there's a rule that the Big Mac Daddy, which is our version of the GM can make basically the decision about anything at any time. And everyone must submit to the big Mac daddy's rules. And if they try to look at the rule book, they die. So like, so the idea is that the basically, if it's funny, it goes, it flies. You know what I mean? Like if it, the, the big Mac daddy acts kind of as a referee for how ridiculous it gets. And so, you know, you end up with what, what the most fun part is just the insane combinations of things that end up happening over the course of a particular game
1: yeah so if we get into the like the character generation itself I mean that becomes quite obvious uh, yeah be- because <laughs> <laughs> it's very simple you have like you're given a number of power slots or you know powers depending on your level right. which is, is part of that character enhancement thing let's say we all start with three powers it's kind of the basic yeah that's the basic set and you roll a number of powers on a table where there's like a hundred powers so you're gonna get a combination of things that don't necessarily go together naturally. And right. for us, our experience, the real fun of this character generation was to try and find a way to make those powers work together into some kind of coherent character. Yes. And, <laughs> and I, I'll tell you, what, what really helps is that paring down that you were talking about because the powers aren't actually described. Like, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's a picture. It's a silly picture of the power in use and there may be a, uh, you know, this one's instantaneous, this one's permanent, you know, stuff like that. Or the, the amount of damage it might do if it's a if it's an attack kind of power. But outside of that, it's kind of, what can this do? How can this be used? And it's really up to the players. So I'll give you an example of what we did. I We had, like, one character that rolled something called action figure punch. <laughs> P-Man. <laughs> you know, like, mail yourself anywhere and summon Buddha. So... <laughs> What what he ended up doing was creating a character that is one of those waving cats you see in Chinese restaurants. Okay. And the cat was an inanimate object, but had achieved enlightenment. So he's sentient, but still inanimate, like someone had to pull the arm back to do the punch. (laughs) (laughs) And he's he's small enough that you can put him through the mail at some point. Uh, we let him, I let him get lost in the post so that he would uh, loop back from the end of time through to the beginning so that he would already be in the uh, villain's office when they came in. Oh, I like it. So you can mail yourself not only anywhere, but anytime. Anytime. So, <laughs> um, and I mean, there was there was going to be time travel in that adventure, you know, so right. it's, uh, and he did call up Buddha a couple of times, but it's how you combine these powers because they're completely random.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well it's it's how you combine the powers and how you use the powers. Like you were just saying. Like like I remember we, we ran a we ran a game where um this was so ridiculous. So this friend of mine had prehensile nipples. Okay. No, no, sorry. No, not prehensile nipples. The other
1: one. Uh, the other nipple power. Yeah,
0: the other uh, what was it called? Uh it was uh grow udders. That's what it was. He had grow udders power. And he had a power called street sign power. So what he did was we were, we were facing off against the, the disgruntled postal workers union. And he, there were a whole bunch of postal workers. The way we handled it was he, he basically he grew udders, sprayed them all with milk, and then used his street sign power to pull out a street sign that said slippery when wet and everyone fell down. Okay. So yeah. So it's like totally ridiculous, you know. And he had to roll to see if he could get the one. We had not roll, but we had he had to do rock paper scissors to see if he got the sign that he wanted. Basically, street sign power makes whatever the street sign says true, but the Big Back Daddy gets to decide what the street sign is that you pull out. So you know, the way we did it was like you ask, "Oh, I want this this street sign," and if if he succeeded in the in the rock paper scissors, he'd get it. If he didn't, he'd get something else. And uh, he so happened to get the one he wanted, and, and everyone fell down. So it was, you know, all the all the postal workers fell down, and we, you know, he was able to subdue them all. But it was like this, just ridiculous, a very ridiculous game.
1: <laughs> well, there is something of of this in um, in Toon. There's another Steve Jackson games. They don't just make GURPS. but uh, Toon, you you play cartoon characters, and there's sort of like a fifty-fifty chance of anything happening. Or going right. <laughs> Let's say if you want to do something, you mail out for an Acme product. Will you get the right one? You know, that kind oh, of that's stuff. Fun.
0: Yeah, I've never played that.
1: Okay, so I, I thought maybe it had been kind of an inspiration in a way, because it's it's like it's another comedy game which would have been out, you know, during this
0: I mean it's funny I being you know, completely honest, I've heard the name, but I've never played it. And like literally I still have my nineteen ninety two or earlier copy of GURPS that we used to like, start the game. But I think back then, we didn't have a game store nearby. We had a comic book store that had, like, I think D&D and GURPS were about it. So uh, I didn't know about any of their games until many years later when I finally started going to shows. So, like, you know, going to uh, Gen Con and um, Origins, those were, like, an incredible revelation to me that there was this world outside of Dungeons and Dragons and GURPS. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, there were a few other games, like Vampire, but that was about it. So, yeah. So, no, we didn't. I think I think we probably looked at the same influence material that they looked at. Like, in other words, like Mail Yourself Anywhere was probably from a Looney Tunes cartoon. You know what I mean? Yeah. The similarities you're seeing are probably just that we both watched a lot of Bugs Bunny. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: I guess there is some sort of weird influence with GURPS being by the same company that does Tune and then yeah, you using GURPS originally. Yeah.
0: Well, the great thing, the fun part about GURPS is that GURPS kind of had a sense of humor in it, the way it was written and designed. In that, like, I always always loved my favorite mechanic in it was that you could make your character more powerful if you took quirks and disadvantages. Right. So that's where the superpowers kind of came out of was like, okay, I'm going to take these insane disadvantages that totally screw up my character, but it means I'm much more powerful, right? So you have these characters that are completely dysfunctional and you have to play I think I think that's the thing is we we were all a bunch of weirdos who really loved playing characters who were messed up. That was kind of like the the joy for us, right? Like we pl- loved playing characters who were like ridiculously like you know ill-suited for, for anything. So when you had a bunch of characters who were ill-suited to play to to work together having to work together. It was a lot of fun to play these games because the scenarios would get totally insane. I think that's where Superpowers came out of, right? was the idea of like, okay, let's set up this thing to be all wrong Right, and then, you, know, you have to figure out how to make it work.
1: And like I said, like I, I only play with improv players, basically. So you can imagine that it's always the comedy at the table, even if it's not a comedy game. Is that? A, oh,
0: I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Is that
1: a high? And because of the improv training, completely the same experience where everybody wants to, you know, builds their characters from the weaknesses up. You know, it right. starts with the weaknesses that they want to play the foibles and yeah, then yeah. the characters kind of built around because that's more interesting to play as uh you know as as an actor but you know <laughs> it's, more, it's more interesting oh, to play
0: no i mean but i mean that's the thing like a lot of the, the like if you were to look at the cross section of people that were involved in creating superpowers we were all like half of us were film students uh half of us were art students and then like maybe and then there were a couple of actors thrown in too so all of us were really into just kind of making crazy shit up you know what i mean like when i look at things like rick and morty i think of that as like a a similar mindset as to what we were thinking about when we created superpowers
1: and i mean you did not shy away in in this (laughs) book from what we call juvenile humor i mean there are just like there are (laughs) fart jokes there are you know it's some of the powers are quite adolescent let's say oh
0: yeah yeah yeah, basically, if we giggled when we made it up, it was going in. you know? Like, there were only a few there were a few pieces of art that had to be edited and there was this one piece, ballistic spooge that's in the book, right. And the current illustration is one that I did that was a, a recovery from the original. So the, the one that I did has a, guy, a kid sitting on his bed with Playboy magazines around him. And there's a hole in his ceiling and you're looking down at him from his father's perspective. And the father is looking over his shoulder down the hole at the kid <laughs> below him with the playboys all over his lap and this giant wall, you know, the giant hole ripped through the floor, right? From his ballistic spooch. But Jamal Igel did this illustration. It was so hideous, but it was hysterically funny of this superhero with his junk in his hand kind of getting ready to take to, to like, you know, like cocking a shotgun. And, and he, but he's this old guy, like this creepy old guy in this like classic 1930s style superhero uniform with like a little doohickey sticking on top of his head and like little fins on his ears. Right. And he's just like, and there he is with it, like pulled out. We were like, I don't know if we could put that in a store without getting censored, you know? So like, maybe we need to pull back on that. But that character shows up in another illustration, which is called, uh, Harry Palms and blindness. So
1: okay, so that guy definitely had a shtick.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So so we we kept him in in the game, but he's kind of just in the background. So he didn't. He wasn't quite the. But we were. Yeah, we were like, we can't not have that power because it's too disgustingly funny. At the same point, we didn't know if any store would ever carry us if we actually had the original illustration.
1: Snot attacks is, is one thing, but then...
0: We decided to leave a lot. Like We wanted to leave enough up to the imagination that you could fill in your own answer to the problem.
1: And we did have a player in this, like when we played over uh, the holidays, we did have a player who rolled, randomly rolled... Uh, a fart power, and uh, he basically centered all his other powers into farts. So basically, not only <laughs> could he attack fart, but he, had, he got like uh, make erogenous zones or whatever that power is. Yes. <laughs> he make things erogenous, uh, right. which I believe Grant Morrison put in Doom Patrol at some point. So,
0: Oh, you're kidding, really?
1: He did, yes. There was a villain or you know, a threat that made fire hydrants, erogenous, and people were just, like, throwing themselves at objects. Oh, that's
0: really funny. That's it, really funny.
1: It happened. B- maybe it'll turn up on TV now. So There you go. Yeah, maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we put it in the fart. You know, it's like the farts could do, like, he had, like, a different, the full spectrum of fart powers. So, anyway.
0: Right. That's cool. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because it sounds like you guys, co- like, brought it all together into one character. Which is really cool because, like, we would just, like, I I, I said, remember, I guess some people would do that, and other people would be like, well, this is going to be my highlight power, and the other two powers are my kind of side powers.
1: And there's no, you don't need an explanation as to why these things all occur in the same character.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, the idea, the explanation was always like, you know, well, you know, Spider Man, right, got bit by a radioactive spider, and he gets the ability to cling to walls and the ability to jump really high and to be really, really super strong. But that's a good set of powers, right? Like, <laughs> yes. So what if, you know, what if you're hit by a radioactive mailbox or, you know what I mean? Like, so like, you know, and you're not going to get good powers. You're going to be able to mail yourself anywhere, right? Or you're a mutant. And, and that was a good, easy answer is like, you know, everyone's a mutant. So you just get a power. And yeah, there's for every Cyclops, there's a guy who can make it snow in restrooms. The roll of the dice isn't necessarily in the favor of having a useful power.
1: No, no. No, you know, you, you'd think there'd be more of these morts in, in the right. world, you know?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and it's funny because, like, you'll see it kind of pop up every once in a while. And I think this was probably one of the many inspirations was, like, in the New Mutants, there was a character named Cypher. Sure. Whose ability was to decipher codes. He,
1: yeah, he could just speak any language was basically the power. Yeah.
0: And, like, there was no, like, practically in most adventures, he was kind of useless. And would actually complain about being useless. And, you know, so, like, he's kind of a spiritual kind of uh, relation to this. And that, like, you know, because one scenario for superpowers that we we ran a bunch was all of the real heroes had to leave to go fight an alien menace. But that left all the villains back home because they are not going to go fight an alien menace. Right. So now who's going to stop Magneto from taking over the Earth when the heroes are off fighting the, you know, whatever, the Shi'ar or whatever. Right. So the only people left are the losers who got powers like, you know, like, you know, make it snow in restrooms, right? So what do you do? Like, I, it, it was actually really fun. Like, I remember we ran a scenario at one of the shows, and this kid was really, really smart. He was like, he's like, okay, I have the power to make it snow in restrooms. He's like, okay, uh, how much money do I have? Okay. And like, in our in the game, like, basically your resources are whatever resources you have at the time. So if you have $10 in your pocket, that's how much money you had. And he had a 20. And I was like, you got 20 bucks, right? And he's like, okay, so uh, is there a big box store nearby, like a Walmart or something? And I was like, yeah, sure, there's one down the street. And he's like, okay, so I run down the street. And I'm like, all right, that, that takes about 10 minutes. So meanwhile, entire buildings are being destroyed while he runs down the street. And then he runs into the Walmart and he buys a, uh, a cooler. And he goes into the restroom and he makes it snow. And then he fills the cooler with snowballs. <laughs> And then he drags the cooler out onto the street. And when the villain came out, he starts chucking ice balls at the villain. And that's how he won the day. <laughs> so it, it was like, super incredibly convoluted to like get to this answer and it took him like meanwhile while half the city's being destroyed and the other characters are struggling trying to solve it he's off running away getting you know get it, buying stuff at walmart you know
1: i'll have a like a nice solution for you when we when we get to talking about the, the scenarios in this book similarly because it, it does because the, the characters are so hapless it does free up your imagination you have to think up of Innovative solutions, but also because it's about, uh, it works if it's entertaining, then you don't have to worry about dice rolls and, you know, right. you will fail. Yeah. Uh, you can fail if coin flip, but it's it's not the same. You can still try it. You can still say, oh, I want to do this. And you have like a, at least a 50-50 chance. Of succeeding. So it's worth trying. Whereas I find often in games that are more structured, some players will just, will have good ideas and then shut themselves down.
0: Right. Because the die doesn't go with what they wanted.
1: Uh, Well, they'll they'll think there'll be, there's no way I can succeed using these rules. What they seem to fail to realize sometimes is that I always work from a if it's entertaining, it has a better chance of happening of right. working. Yeah, yeah,
0: and that—that's. That, I mean, I think that's actually written in the rules of the game. If pe- people laugh, it happens. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the, it's
1: got to. You know, it's it's like oh yeah, no, this it, is too good for not for it not to happen. Or at least let's let's have a spectacular failure that is as entertaining as what was it? You know, at the same level as your ambition. <laughs> you know, it's it's got to right, be somewhere yeah. in there.
0: Like some of the stuff that I think is. Because I was looking through it again recently and like some of the stuff that I think I kind of feel like it's born out of is we were all a bunch of guys who had been playing D&D, you know, I guess it was what, AD&D back then?
1: Uh, Yeah, it would have been like first and second edition when we were all coming up around the same time.
0: Yeah, and, and we were kind of experiencing that point where... We were more creative than the rules let us be, you know, like you want like, you know, you want your character to be able to do something that just stretches that like if you were do, in that scenario, you might think of something totally off the wall, but your character can't do it, right? Or doesn't have any extra skills to help them do it. So there's, there's no allowance for, well, I can, I, I could do it, but my character can't do it or I can think of it, but my character can't think of it. And I think we all were kind of enjoying the idea of just being able to take the gloves off. And, I, and it's interesting because that's one of the, the conundrums with the game was when we were developing it originally, the idea was that you have all those stupid powers and you're fighting legit villains, right? So with real threats, right? Uh, so imagine, you know, Thanos is coming to Earth and you have to stop him. And then when we when we reapproached it, we were like, well, let's make the villains goofy as well and it was always kind of a, a toss up as to whether we'd rather have the villains be serious or goofy. And I remember it kind of being a long argument discussion as to whether we wanted to go. Cause, cause it, it kind of changes the idea of the game. If the villains are goofy too, but it, it ended up being fun in just a different direction. You know what I mean? Like if the gilla- if the villains are a bunch of idiots, then that's fun because they're entertaining to hear. So like part of it was like to give the GM Enough room, or the B- Big Mac Daddy, enough room to kind of like, you know, come up with the most insane stuff and then you know, and then run with it. And then the players have to react to that, whatever that is, you know?
1: I, I don't know if the villains in the book are necessarily goofy. Like, the, the heroes are definitely goofy. But the villains are more like uh, satirical or parodies of, you know, of maybe comic book villains that we know uh, or, yeah. or comic book characters that we know but still their power level like it seems like their powers are much more threatening than anything the yeah. heroes you know basically have so yeah
0: well i mean that that's that's kind of been the that stayed right yeah. the idea that the villains are way more powerful than you Yeah, you know, it's kind of like i guess i my, my thought is like if luke skywalker was as powerful as darth vader you wouldn't care right mm-hmm. but because he's this pathetic kid farmer boy who goes up against a guy who's been fighting for however many years and has this awesome armor and all this training and he still wins. That's why you cheer for him. Right? So the, the idea is you're, you're playing the ultimate underdog. You're playing a person who's like, basically powers are practically disabling rather than enabling, you know?
1: Yeah. Cause in terms of the comedy, I mean, there's, there's that there's the, the power differential creates a comic effect effect. That is natural, you know, that you could get in normal superhero comics where, you know, Spider-Man's up against Galactus. There's something funny about that in a way. Right. But also, uh, yes, we talked about how it could be juvenile, but it is also a good satirical streak in there you know one of the things is like characters can have uh in the character generation can have uh what they call uh what good points and bad points or yeah turn-ons <laughs> yeah. and turn-offs you know there's different but some of these you know you could get like these sorts of advantages or disadvantages might be that you had the car you had the batmobile for the the group or you know there's stuff like that but there are a lot of it is kind of based on media culture which feels like today see, okay yeah we're in there, but in even in 2002, and maybe these rules were added when the book came out. Kind of seem prescient in a way. It's like <laughs> it's like there's like all these paparazzi and and, and yeah. you're curating basically up and down and fans and it's almost like it's signaling uh, social media culture in a way that we know now but at the time is like really well, was it already like this in 2002 is without asking myself uh, reading you know this. I,
0: I don't know but but fred van linty was the guy who kind of spearheaded that and he's a really smart guy and like one of the things that i always he and i worked on some science fiction projects that were a specific science fiction project that the idea was extrapolating on you know what it, call hard sci-fi, where you look at the modern day and then you extrapolate from there. And it's scary how many things he came up with in the early nineties that are similar to what to what is happening right now. No. It's actually really scary. So that stuff was pretty much like he I don't I don't think he necessarily made that whole section himself, but he definitely came up with the theme for that and we kind of all ran Along with it, and he has a really, really biting satirical streak to his work.
1: Yeah, I've often shined his car. It's like uh, (laughs) he's uh, he's one of my favorite comics writers.
0: Oh yeah, really? Yeah. 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 No, he like I said, we we worked on a lot of a lot of projects back then, and the two of us together often had that had this very kind of, especially him though, this uh, like this really biting kind of view of the world, and really observant. Like you know, he really he really kind of understood things on that on that level. So like, yeah, when you could have Kennedy family connections as a turn on and then a turn off was Bush family connections, mm-hmm. you know, like he was definitely showing his politics and it was in, you know, and and he was definitely showing like a, a savviness about media. And, you know, I think one of them is also Princess Die or something like that. I think so, yeah. Uh, there, there's some connection to Princess Di, I forget. And, but then, you know, there was also, I mean, like there was a comic back in at the time when we were – Reading comics because, like I said, we had that comic book club. There were a lot of books coming out at the time that were very that deviated from the typical superhero type thing. You know, like you said, Doom Patrol was coming out at the time when we first were working on this, and um, and that had a lot of kind of like surreal kind of elements to it. And there was a lot of like Alan Moore was doing all kinds of stuff that was kind of breaking the fourth wall, and and you know, and it was kind of a lot of reaction to. The idea that like you're not supposed to say this, so we're going to say it. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah, but I could d- definitely imagine someone picking up superpowers and and creating the Brotherhood of Dada, for example. To, you know, in the Doom Patrol, because yeah. the powers are so outlandish and bizarre and strange. That
0: right, make a painting that eats Paris. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> it's
1: like uh, where the, where is this coming from? So about apparently Grant Morrison's uh, dreams, but <laughs> that's apparently, yeah, I can see how that that sort of percolated. And became this, and I think the way that the, what you eventually came up with for the uh, character advancement is definitely in that, you know, media savvy kind of vein, because it's, you start off as a rookie, as a no-name, and then you, as you go through the levels, you reach like a, a peak, where you're at, you are know, yes. you know, you're at your most iconic, I guess, and then you drop back down until you're a has-been. And this was right. Yeah, <laughs> this was. It's like you've got a lot of powers, a lot of, of of add-ons, and then and then they start to drop away as you become a loser again. So right, this yeah, was yeah. perfect for us because. <laughs> oh great! Did you use those rules? Well, we we weren't going to be advancing or anything. You know, we knew this was going to be a one shot, and we were satisfied that the characters lived. To their fullest, you know, in that, in that <laughs> afternoon. But one of the ways that I sort of created this opportunity was that I had a player. I used to play a lot of DC Heroes RPG. Okay. You know, and one of my players from, from those years, because it was one of, the, one of the longest running campaigns that I've had. So one of the players really wanted to get back into it. And I wouldn't because I've played it too much. So I was like, I'm, I'm really over it. You know, I want to play other things than superhero RPGs because I've done it for too long. And, you know, there are so few opportunities to play or to get groups together that I just want to do other things. But I still wanted to give him, you know, what he wanted. So he had this character which was already, I mean, DC Heroes is... A pretty yeah, I mean you can put comedy into it, but it's it's straight up superheroes. But his character was kind of ridiculous; had always been. <laughs> he was a wrestler. He was an Acadian wrestler from up north here in the province. So he did like the whole big thick accent for it, and you know it was very very local. But he was hanging out with these bigger, more international superheroes, and uh, he was a wrestler. But I mean the story was that he'd gone to Tibet. He there was a thing where you fight. Uh, opponents and whoever wins gains a power so his powers were all over the place they were very much superpowers in that that's awesome they were normal I mean it was like he had super strength he could shrink down or become a giant and he could breathe underwater like nothing matched because he'd won these bouts and gotten like actual random powers but from the DC heroes game but he was kind of an older gentleman as well he was like an over the hill wrestler <laughs> That's great. Playing superheroes. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, this is perfect. What we'll do, and he's the one that wants to play. So we'll bring in his character, uh, and I'll put all these character sheets, these superpowers character sheets, on the uh, the website at fireandwaterpodcast.com so people can see. But I basically had to convert, and this was one of the tests for me. Can I convert a hero from another game into <laughs> superpowers? And it was pretty easy. So,
0: yeah, I was going to say. Yeah.
1: So ba- basically, the idea would be that the rest of the team, they'd broken up and he alone is is holding the the torch and so he's assembling these young heroes these would be heroes who are you know silly but He's trying to rebuild the team, basically. So he's the only one with any cred, except he's been in the game so long that I had him at the other end of the scale. So maybe he was like level 18, but he was the same power level as the level twos, basically. So that's how we, like, everybody met in the, not in the middle, but at the both ends. Everybody met at the end. That's
0: awesome. That's cool. Yeah, so
1: they worked. And because he was already kind of a silly character... He fit that world, but he could also play the, you know, the the long-suffering older hero who is surrounded by idiots. You know, kind of the idea.
0: Which is, yeah, that's, I mean that 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 sounds perfect. I mean, like that's what's so fun about it is like, I actually think we have a story kind of like that in the game because there's a character named, um, now I'm gonna remember, forget his name, Grim.
1: Yeah, there's just like a sort of vigilante, um.
0: Yeah, he's basically Batman. Yeah. Um, who's assembling them because he knows that the heroes aren't around and he needs a team and they're like, he just needs, but he, he's still a legit hero, right? The Grim
1: shadow is the name.
0: Grim shadow. Yeah. He, he's still, he's still quote unquote legit hero. Uh, and he, he puts them, he puts you through your, uh, your test, kind of like professor X, you know, testing them in the danger room, right. To see if they can, you know, be actual superheroes or superheroes. But yeah, that's kind of, that's really great. I mean, it, I, one of my favorite things about the game was we would go to conventions and people would come up to me with the game and, and just tell me their stories, like how ridiculously stupid their stories were or, or just fun. I say I say stupid a lot, but, they you know, they're just silly. Yeah. They're
1: fun. You know? Yeah. And we're going to get into that for us as well. I just want to mention quickly the game mechanics. We've been mentioning them all the way through. But, yes, it's do you want to succeed at something? It's a coin flip. We played on Discord because, you know, COVID. So it was like a... Uh, D2, I guess, was what we were right. rolling. But we were doing the rock, paper, scissors for like when contests between people, we were doing the rock, paper, scissors on the camera, basically. Uh, and that worked well as well. The damage is also silly. You go from hurt to really hurt to really, really hurt to really, 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 really hurt. <laughs> you know, get the drift <laughs> uh, until you're KO'd. So nobody dies in these things. You know, it's not that kind of of game. And there, I also, and I'm wondering if you. Ever playtested these, but there's a drinking game variant and a LARP variant, a live action role playing variant.
0: Those are actual. The LARP is actual photos of yeah. us in Times Square. So this, <laughs> so- this was real.
1: Were you actually playing there, or is it posed?
0: No, we we just totally posed that. Okay. We were that was just us, like because at the time, LARPing, I want to say it had just really started catching on. That that was like where we were just like, let's make fun of LARPing. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. How can we how can we do more about like you said, like the game itself was kind of part half playable game and half parody. But I mean, like, you know, in, I think in the scenario in the LARP, we all get arrested. So that was kind of part of the the problem with doing it. You know, it was like, yeah, yeah imagine running around at the time we couldn't like, you know, we didn't realize how big and how complex LARPing could get at the time. It seemed kind of impossible to be serious and people have proven us way wrong you know like we thought oh well that's just gonna be a weird little fad um but it's become obviously a much bigger thing than i think any of us could have imagined so we were just kind of poking fun at it but it, but it is funny because like we always imagine like if we tried to do that we would get arrested right you'd get arrested for running around in a stupid costume and throwing things right full points for the costumes by <laughs> yeah, the way it's i mean yeah it, i mean it, it, like i said it was it was the middle of times square so you know we were and running around on rooftops and taking photos and stuff, you know, trying to get access to buildings that we weren't supposed to get access to to take. so there was a little bit of like kind of a DIY punk thing to doing it. Like, let's see how much trouble we can get in, you know?
1: Yeah, a little (laughs) guerrilla shooting. Yeah. 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 So, the stories in the book, there there are four interlocked, you get a lot of other scenario ideas, you can do random role scenarios, crazy stuff just put together, so without any preparation, that's fine. But there are four scenarios that are interlinked about those heroes that the Grim Shadow puts together in New York City, and they sort of take over the the, the proper heroes is HQ or... Yep. And then different people wrote different scenarios. Who wrote the second one? The second chapter? Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, the devolution dilemma.
1: Right. And uh, that's the one we played. Basically, well, I knew I had you on the show and that might have... At first I said, well, no, I'm not going to put him on the spot and play his scenario or anything. But at, at the same time, I was looking at it and the villains in this just captured my imagination. I felt like like I could see these guys in an actual comic book and I would read about, like, these particular villains in in a book that would be, like, you know, like a fun superhero comedy kind of setting. Yeah. And it had time travel. Automatically. <laughs> I, I think my brain went there. And that's the one we played. So basically, what I mean, the highlights of this, there's a I, I don't want to give away the plot, but the everybody gets turned into an ape by there's a villain called Mighty Joe Young, who ha, has the it's the brain of Carl Jung, the famous psychologist, in an ape body, so he's the ultra-humanite, or...
0: A great white ape body. Yes. It's based on Mighty Joe Young? Yes,
1: Mighty Joe Young, Mighty Joe Young. He's, the like, the main villain in this, but you've also got, like, a, a Fantastic Four parody. There's clearly a Mr. Fantastic and a Human Torch and an Invisible Girl. So anyway, that's the scenario that we decided to take, basically. I had great fun with it. I think the, the highlight for me was... One of the characters I haven't mentioned had a uh, an open bar inside his chest. That power, uh, and yes. and, um, and then so so my guys are oh we got to defeat this villain towards the end there, and they Google Jung and they could because like someone had like some librarian that's nice that same character had librarian powers of some kind so he did this research and he looked up Jung and Jung was famously I guess an alcoholic, <laughs> and, and so they I mean. Pretty unscrupulously decided to capitalize on on that element, uh, and since they had an open bar, they're sort of offering drinks. And next thing you know, the you know the villain is inca- incapacitated, and uh, and then they you know they fix history or actually make history better because over the hill wrestler hero tracked back and inserted himself into the actual Justice League or something, you know, so so that he he's never has been. Basically.
0: Oh, so he ends up getting to become the real hero he always wanted to be. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> and that since
1: there's no follow up, I mean, there doesn't need to be a follow up. Everyone agreed at the end of this that, yeah, it, it was a lark. The three new heroes, we did all the jokes that we thought we could do. If we ever play again, It's going to be, you know, we're just going to roll up new guys and it's going to be, you know, all new fresh material. (laughs) It was basically the thought. Right. But these scenarios could be played or are sort of meant to be played in sequence, right?
0: It's funny because we originally were just going to have a bunch of different scenarios. And then uh, I think it was Al Zatko uh, came up with the idea of, of, you know, having them all kind of linked together so that there would be an overarching story arc to them all. So the that overarching story arc was the Grim Shadow story, right? Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, I kind of linked them all. You could play each one and, and then, event, and I guess, develop your characters moving up. I mean, one of the things that we, one of the things that I've learned about since, which I didn't know about, is like, you know the game, oh, now I'm blanking on the name, that everyone's probably going to know exactly what I'm talking about, where it's like a post-apocalyptic game where uh, you get mutations and the mutations change all the time, so you get new powers. So, Gamma World or. Gamma World, thank you, yeah. So, like, had I known about that when we were. Had I known about that rule idea when we were doing powers, I would have said every time your character, because of some strange accident between games, your character gets all new powers.
1: Oh, that would. So yeah. So, you're still
0: the same character, but then you get all new powers, so now you have to, you know.
1: You can keep the investment right, in the character. Yeah. so the
0: person can be the same person. You can develop a a, a side story, a Lois Lane, and things like that. But then, of course, the next time his powers are even more horribly embarrassing, or you know, or whatever. And so, so that, that I think that would be would have been a way of going. Okay, that's a way to expand it without losing that kind of freshness of having the new powers.
1: Sure. I, I was wondering about the characters that are in the game. You know, like the the sample characters, the ones that yes. you guys dressed up as, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like like the powers are very coherent in that. I was wondering if like these were fudged, like we're.
0: Oh, I think they were. Yeah. I mean, I think we just. I, I, yeah. To be honest, I mean, I think what we were doing was. Well, I don't actually. I don't know if they were fudged so much as they were from the earlier part of the game when we were play testing it.
1: So they might have been built. More GURPS-like, where you make choices rather than completely random.
0: Yeah, and then we wanted to keep them because we liked those characters. So, like, uh, my friend Jamal played Johnny Kaboom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had what the power to, to spontaneously combust, right? There was just something to take that away from him and to make it different wouldn't have been as much fun. So, you know, the fact that we could make him a Johnny Kaboom mask and have him running around the streets of New York dressed as the character was, you know, and it was based on him anyway. He's been known to combust. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no, <laughs> but just the the look and the and the personality was was all like because when we played it originally, we generally played it that you played yourself uh, when we first started playing it, and so it was like you and you got these powers, and now you have to go and solve the de- you know save the day, and so Jamal named himself Johnny Kaboom, and that was kind of a nickname for a little while. So he. That became his character. I, I don't, I'm trying to remember what the other characters that were
1: in. There's uh, Kid Chaos.
0: Yeah, Kid Chaos. He may have been rolled. I'm not sure.
1: He could have been because it's, I mean, he's got a Sonic Belch, a 23 car pileup, and Summon Light Breeze, which right I, yeah. I, I can see fitting together. Janet Deluxe is the other one and the All-Nighter.
0: Yeah, the All-Nighter What had um, Sugar Rush Power.
1: That's the one, yep. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And and something else he had and he had to find a 711 anywhere, I think. Yeah,
1: find convenience stores, sugar rush, nacho downpour and change time zones. So He
0: might have been fudged except for the change time zones. I'm not sure. Like I like I said it, you know it's funny cuz like sometimes the rolls work out or it might have been we rolled them five different times and said that's a cool character. Right. Cuz that's very possible that we did the same thing.
1: Yeah, you give yourselves a, like a number of choices and you pick the the power set that sort of inspires you.
0: Well yeah, and we had to draw these guys too, right? Mm-hmm. So
1: we wanted to have them be
0: It's kind of funny though cuz like when I when you know, have you ever like so the character for Kid Chaos, I don't know the timing of this at all cuz I have no recollection, but I know I didn't see it until afterwards. There's this movie with um Ben Stiller,
1: Mystery Men. Mystery Men, yeah.
0: No, I didn't see it until after we did Superpowers. Cuz that's I mean, but it's very much Superpowers. And, and Kid Chaos kind of looks like Ben Stiller from that movie. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, that's really weird. Like, I, like you know, there was no, like, It's just one of those weird things where great minds think alike, I guess, or, or terrible minds think alike. But he looks kind of like, uh, and I don't remember what Ben Stiller's character name was, but, you know, like, I think he was Rage Guy or Rage or something like that. But he was just funny because he like, had the same hairstyle as Ben Stiller and kind of looked like him. I'm like, that's really weird. Like, it was totally coincidental, but...
1: You could imagine the shoveler and the bowler kind of oh to- coming totally. out of this.
0: I mean, there's a guy with the and the guy with the pull my finger. I forget what his name yeah. was.
1: So that that's all. Yeah, some of this is <laughs> very much in in line with superpowers. So there is inspiration out there, you know, for someone who how do how does this work? Well, there is movie inspiration for this.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's really it was really funny because I remember watching the movie and like literally going, "This is superpowers! Like, what the hell? This is like." Complete with villain who's more interested in his uh, or a hero villain who's more interested in his his news profile than in, in actually mm-hmm. saving anybody's life. Yeah, because there was there was a character in, in superpowers called right wing when he was originally created. It was a superhero who only had one wing, so he could only fly in circles. <laughs> so obviously a political comet, But he was kind of like he's kind of like the fascist version of Captain America and like and yeah his motivation is very similar if i remember correctly to the char- the lead character in um in my mystery man yeah so there it's just really funny how like i don't know it's one of those weird things where you're like there was something in the air you know different people see the same connections and then make the same you know make similar stories and art out of that you know yeah
1: yeah i always like to end these shows on lessons that we might have learned uh running it Playing it in your case, designing it, drawing it—you know—are there things that you did with superpowers that then you brought into your other work or into your further role-playing experiences?
0: Well, okay, in role-playing experiences, I would say the ability to as a, when I play as a, when I run a, as a GM, which can sometimes frustrate people, but going off the cuff on certain things and hiding the dice so that the characters succeed when they're not supposed to, or or fail when they're not supposed to because it's more interesting for the story. So allowing, you know, like in some ways, allowing the characters to have those like moments of like, okay, there's no way that person could have done it, but yeah, go ahead. It's it's awesome. And don't tell them so they don't know that they got kind of that extra help, you know, because then it's more funny, you know, or more fun, like, you know, oh, this character who should have been able to do it did this thing, you know? So it's kind of like trying to figure out the instinct of reading your players
1: and figuring out what's going to make them have a good time i feel like sometimes that you you need games like this to unlock something for your other games so that when oh yeah yeah if they, they like you break them of whatever uh habit they have of, of of you know not doing certain things because they don't think they'll succeed or so you free them up and once that's unlocked they'll be a lot freer in other games sometimes too free I've seen it where it's like, okay, you want to narrate the scene entirely. Uh, You know, it it, it kind of feels like that with certain players because they picked up the habit from these more free flowing, crazier games. But uh, I'd rather have that than someone that goes, oh, no, that's not going to work. And then shutting down other people's plans sometimes.
0: Part of the thing about being a GM is, in a way, facilitating the players to succeed, especially if they come up with. Like, you know, if they come up with an awesome Mission Impossible idea, then let them do it. You know what I mean? Like, that's cool, right? If they come up with something that you're like, yeah, that that doesn't make any sense to these characters necessarily, but it's really cool. Or, or however, you know what I mean? Like, it's there's something like that, I like to jump in and let them have that so that the game, so they all feel like they, in a way, they have a story to go tell people about.
1: Yeah, yeah. Th- those are the moments that people tell later. Yeah, you
0: know? yeah yeah, they, they tell, oh, my character did this thing that was totally ridiculous. Like, I should not have been able to make that arrow shot, but I did, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's like, that made that character for that person so exciting. And I think that's what's cool about Superpowers. You kind of have to let the players do absolutely ridiculous things <laughs> and and just laugh along with them, you know? So in a way, I, I think it kind of taught me how to take the rules as a guide as opposed to a, a restrictive force, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I've definitely had that situation where, you know, you have a rules lawyer in the game. Uh, even as a GM, the rules lawyer says, well, that's not really how it's supposed to work. And I'm like, yeah, but it was so cool. They were going to do something so neat. And now you just killed it with the rules, you know? So there's a certain amount of, like, like that's why there's a rule in, the, in Superpowers where the Big Mac Daddy is the final rulesayer, you know, because... Basically, you don't want that interference because it can throw the whole game off of uh, off of its role, Mm -hmm. you know. And I find that really helps with horror games.
1: Oh yeah, like yeah, with Call of Cthulhu. Because this is that's totally the opposite of superpowers. Yeah.
0: There's some there's a link to comedy and horror because at least I think like because I've written a bunch of stuff in both and there's there's a link between the two and I think I'm trying to remember exactly how to put it into words, but it's kind of like horror and comedy both have a setup. Like you have to set up the joke for the punchline to work and you have to set up the character for the horror to work. So in the same way that like you have to lead the players through a certain scenario for a joke to happen and to hit, you have to set up a situation where like, you know, in Call of Cthulhu, where a character has just tossed a room looking for something and then you tell them, oh wait, you forgot to look under the bed. And then they realize they look at you and they know something bad's going to happen, but then they still <laughs> have to check it, you know, oh, yeah. and, and you build up the tension and you're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you can see there's something under there, but not at this angle. You really have to get your head down next to the floor to see what's under there. And, and like, you know, and then they're like, oh, I hate you. So, OK, I'm going to look down and they're like, yeah, but it's still too far away. Maybe you need to reach your hand in, you know, <laughs> like yeah. and you do. And then, and then of course, the payoff is, you know. They reach their hand in and it seems totally fine. Like maybe it's a shirt, but actually it's a skin kite or, you know, or something like, you know, it's it's a it's a, a leathery creature that wraps around their hand and sucks their blood, you know, whatever. But, the, you know, it's the same kind of setup in, in superpowers. If you set it up that way, you're kind of giving them ex- certain expectations and then you're pulling the expectations away or you're you're holding the expectation off until the moment where the tension is so high that when you reveal it, it's funny.
1: You know? it's interesting that you put these two together because it's like to me <laughs> to me that's a bit of a holy grail it's the kinds of players I have it's I find it's hard to do horror because everybody's joking so much and yet right. I've, I've had some successes with it uh, but usually it's because I know how to ramp up tension there's nothing like a random roll and you know roll it behind a screen and look at somebody or ask someone to roll and then not Tell them why or what happened, and it's nothing except building their paranoia. Oh yeah, it's like yeah. you, you're roll. Like I'm asking yeah. you to roll because your character is nervous, so maybe it's an awareness kind of roll. And then I don't tell you if you win or fail, but there's no consequence, and you're just wondering why you rolled. But you know something's bad is going to happen, but it's all in your head because you know. So I I, I <laughs> I've used just like the mechanics. Of a game, which is like the, the dice rolls, to achieve yeah. some sort of effect if they, they're f- afraid for their character, afraid for their sanity in, in Call of Cthulhu, you know, that helps.
0: That's the brilliance of the DM screen, right?
1: Yes, because you can, I don't think players realize how much we help them, thanks to that device, <laughs> yes. but also how we can just ramp up things or, you know, hurt, damage them, at least psychologically. <laughs> yeah. But you, you, you prefaced this section with when it comes to, you know, gaming. In other words, did superpowers teach you something about comics work or writing or art?
0: I learned a lot about writing. And it's funny because the sad part is I haven't done as many comedy projects as I'd like to do, but it, it taught me to kind of stretch that muscle.
1: Because you're really, yeah, you know, like your style, you, you can do very, do different things. I've You know, I've, I've seen your work adapted to different, genres but it's very well suited to comedy
0: yeah and 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 when i first started working at marvel that was a problem okay (laughs) because yeah they were like it's funny like when i first started at marvel it was the early 90s very early 90s and jim lee was like the master of comics right so everyone had to kind of look very grim and very gritty and very serious and lots of extra lines all over the place and and i was doing characters bouncing off the page you know like you know and, and the the our editors would be like, all right, well, this is way too cartoony for Marvel. Can you like make it more realistic? Um, and that was like and so I had to train myself to get more realistic. And so superpowers was kind of like my place to allow that all out, you know, and like be be free with the the being ridiculous about it. And it's translated to certain projects that I've gotten getting off the ground, because like if I hadn't kept doing that style a i wouldn't have gotten it like superpowers got me into going to conventions for gaming which got me into doing games and while i didn't really do the same style for like games like werewolf the apocalypse or uh, dungeons and dragons it was still like the door opener that got me in to start working in that and that really opened me up to trying all different kinds of materials Whereas if I had just stayed in comics, I would have been a penciler and just been penciling all the time. From a technique standpoint, it kind of opened up a whole another world of art for me. And it also taught me to be independent because even though like, I don't know if you would call superpowers a financial success in any way, but it taught me that that doing your own thing is always more satisfying than doing something for a big company, for me at least. Right now, what I think is like the renaissance brilliance of the current gaming market is the Kickstarter phenomenon that's been going on for the last, you know, five, six years or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that people like, I have a cool idea. I'm going to make, I want to make a game. I'm going to put it out there and see if people like it. And that's kind of like what superpowers was like. We have a ridiculous idea for a game. Let's put it out and see if people like it. We just didn't have it at the time when we put out the first one, there were like literally 50 different distributors of games in the country like distributors let alone stores so we were calling like all these different people to try to get like things in stores and then over the years like diamond became suddenly by the time early 2000s or whatever it was like diamond and one or two other distributors but when we first put out superpowers we had a list that was like three pages long printed of names of people that we had to contact to try to get them in to get the books into stores. And it was like ridiculous. So like there was, there was no single way to get the book out there. And like, had we had Kickstarter at the time, I think it would have been a very different experience, you know what I mean? We would have been able to yeah. fund it and and probably be doing our fourth book at this point, you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: it could have gone on, yeah.
0: So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, or not, you know, or just just a new I mean, we had a whole a whole horror supplement that was supposed to come out after this, but we just never it was such an exhausting fight to just get it into as many stores as we got it into as it was, you know, like just to do that. And then we had to do all the distribute, you know, we had to ship it all to the different distributors ourselves. So it was like kind of became a logistical nightmare. And I remember like a lot of that stuff, you know, because, you know, you have six different people living in six different places, all trying to work on a project. And that ends up happening that one person ends up getting stuck with that. So, you know, it ended up, I remember my friend Ryan was kind of doing all the shipping and it was like kind of laid a lot of heavy weight on him, you know? So there was always kind of a, like trying to figure out, like, I think one of the things, the the business things I learned from this are well wait until there's only one good distributor (laughs) wait until kickstarter but no but uh, honestly like 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 figure out a a system for dealing with distribution where you can distribute easily and and again the world is so much different now that the distribution system with with kickstarter is such a better better world now that i think as a creative person who wants to make new projects and new games The things I learned were, you know, how to make a book, how to put together a book and publish it and print it and get it into people's hands and, you know, edit it and all that other stuff. I learned all of that stuff, which I wouldn't have learned otherwise. All of those things have contributed to me doing like my, you know, my playing card decks and my books and stuff like that that I've done since and all that. And the style for The Only Living Boy is pretty much a modified superpower style. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, you know, so. It taught me a lot of different things,
1: you know? When is the only living RPG coming out? Because (laughs) both you and (laughs) David are involved in gaming, and there is a fantasy world that could be... We've
0: been dancing around that and High Moon as an RPG for years, and it's just about having us have enough time to sit down and write it.
1: Yeah, because it's still, you know...
0: Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of artwork, but writing descriptions of the world and scenarios and all that stuff... Is a lot of work, you know, and uh and like at one point last year, we were talking about doing a um a high moon RPG, uh which we we still kind of want to do. Right. And the idea would be, you know, Old West horror, werewolves and monsters and, and, and mythology and lore. And, you know, and that would be kind of the mix. The thing that that held us up was just, you know, we had people that we wanted to work with and stuff like that. But just trying to produce the only living girl book three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It takes precedent. You know, like you can only do one kind of quote unquote free project at a time while you're trying to make a living, you know, so like you have to choose your battles. And unfortunately, the role playing game keeps getting pushed
1: further along because it's one we don't have a contract for, you know what I mean? Right, right. It's interesting how, how much like this was originally a college goof. And it seems to have had a like a large, big influence on your career.
0: Maybe more personally than career wise. I don't know how many people who hire me know anything about Superpowers, but from a personal standpoint, um, the people that I met doing it were a huge influence on me. And they and they've all we've all kind of you know, not all of us, but a lot of us have moved on. I mean, like, do you know who Donato Giancola is? He was one of the original players in Superpowers. He never wrote a scenario, but we went to school together. And so, like, you know, he, we were, he'll, he, I forget what character he played, but he played characters in the original GURPS version of Superpower. So we had like this really good crew of people around us and we all kind of pushed each other back then to, you know, to kind of explore ideas and not shut each other down, which I think is really, really another lesson that's really good is when you're in a creative situation brainstorming is about accepting other people's things. And that whole yes, and thing from, uh, from improv is really, really important to the brainstorming process. And so when you're being creative, and you're trying to create with a group, it's a really powerful thing to be able to, you know, kind of say, Okay, you just said that thing. And on first inspection, I don't know if I like it, but let's try it. Let's see what happens if we go there, right. And sometimes you learn something, maybe it's the right way to go, or maybe it's not the right way to go. But it in, in the creation of projects, I think it really helps to be able to be open to all the weird ideas that come up because you never know whether that weird idea is going to be the answer to the, the way that idea is supposed
1: to be, you know? We'll, we'll stop it here. Okay. That was superpowers. I want to thank my guest, Steve Ellis, for bringing the insight on this. Uh, Steve, what are you working on right now? What, Where can people find your work?
0: Right this second, I'm working on a project that I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about.
1: Okay, let's not <laughs> talk about it.
0: <laughs> so the other things that I'm working on that I can talk about are I did two decks of playing cards that are like monster family illustrations, and they kind of like have a sense of humor to them, called the Thornclaw Manor playing card decks. And so I have those and I, I sell them on my website and I have a, a book as well, an art book. That's all portraits of Victorian horrors, like Victorian Lovecraftian creatures and stuff like that. That's all on my, on my site. That's a big cartel, Steve Ellis art at big cartel. And then I'm also working on the Only Living Girl book three. So like David and I did a series called The Only Living Boy, which was a pretty big book when it first came out. So we're working on the kind of sequel slash sister series to that called The Only Living Girl. Um, and we're on the third book right now working on that. That's the first two are out in stores. And they're kind of like a, you know, it's funny. Like you could say they're young adult, but I think they reach out.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm an older adult and I enjoyed them. So <laughs> it's like an adventure series, fish out of water. I would describe it as Alice in Wonderland meets Commandy. <laughs>
0: Oh, interesting. I, I was know. gonna say Alice in Wonderland meets um, Flash Gordon, but I can see the commandy thing too. Yeah, yeah something like that. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just a blast because like it's unbridled creativity. You know, like the whole thing of like don't stop with an idea. See how it goes. You know, <laughs> how crazy can it get? And and uh, that's what I like about working with David is that we'll push the ideas to this sometimes ridiculous level, but they work. You know. And uh you know when we we did some series from Marvel uh we did the Winter Guard from Marvel and you know, David wanted a giant bear smashing a dinosaur from an airplane. So it's it's kind of like <laughs> superpowers-like in that way. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you've got all of that. Uh, if people are looking for superpowers, you know, you can get the PDF version on the drive-through RPG yep. and all these sites. Still carry it, no problem. I'll let you get back to, to your work. It's
0: my evil secret project.
1: <laughs> no, and uh, I'll be back after this break with Game Master Advice and your feedback on our previous episode. From David Gallagher and Steve Ellis, the award-winning team that brought you The Only Living Boy, comes this thrilling new action-adventure series, The Only Living Girl. Hi! My name is Andra. People
0: call me Z. I was a normal girl. I loved science, my bear, and my dad. One day, tragedy struck. But that wasn't the end of my story. I awoke in a Patrick world filled with mermaid warriors, insect princesses, robots, a world created by my dad, who had become a mad scientist. Now I'm stuck in a world that doesn't trust me, in a conflict with my father's creations. Luckily I still have my friend Eric and my bear. I am the only
1: living. Yeah. the only living girl volume one the island at the edge of infinity is available now in both hardcover and paperback from paper cuts if i were dungeon master i'd have it made what an interesting proposition very well i shall give you all my power to use as you will so it kind of sounded like superpowers was a good starter game simple rules no big commitment is this a game that you could start with, that you could start running, start playing for the first time with? Well, it definitely could. So this advice column today uh, is about where you start. You are a prospective game master. You've been listening to these episodes, maybe, and you're wondering, can should I throw my hat in the ring, so to speak? How do I start being a game master? How do I start role-playing? Well, okay. The first step really is... To choose your level, your level of investment. You might think the be all and end all of role playing is the open ended campaign, uh, and you would be wrong. That style of play is a massive investment, not just for you, but for any prospective players. If you're in high school, it might be possible to get a weekly game going, but adults have many more commitments, uh, you know, family, work, more established hobbies, maybe, and you'll soon be trying to figure out how to handle. Missing players, or waiting until the whole group is available, and weeks are turning into months between sessions, and then you'll all forgotten about it. And if you're new to this, what if you make an early mistake that corrupts your setting? Or what if you don't like GMing all that much? Uh, You might be leaving your players with no closure. So scale it down for your first attempt. You could instead commit to a season, what I call a season, 6 to 12 episodes with an open door to play more, or a mini series, which would be maybe three to six episodes with a definite ending or even an open door, or a one shot, just one or two sessions, a single adventure, and you could spin off into a more regular game or or not. The beauty of fewer games is that you can work out the kinks so that when you commit to longer engagements, it's as a more solid GM who knows what they're doing. Similarly, players who are maybe just trying it out will likely create characters they like, but that don't work in the field. They'll be happy to get a do-over as well. With a one-shot... Don't even waste time on character generation, unless it's as simple as, like, superpowers, where it's, you know, bang, 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 and it's done. Because that's an extra session that maybe you don't have. So just hand out pre-generated characters, and many games have examples, or you can train yourself to understand the game by making them yourself, or have experienced players do so. It may mean that, for your purposes, characters aren't first-level rookies. But be careful. More experienced characters have more abilities, and that makes them more complex, harder to play. In any case, the point is to treat one's first experience as a trial run for all involved, with every opportunity to make improvements should the game, quote-unquote, go to series. The second step is really to choose your game. Now, This is the next big question, and it's one you probably shouldn't answer without speaking to your players first the choice of genre, of tone, uh, system, is necessarily influenced by the whole of the gaming table. It makes no sense, for example, to play a Lovecraftian horror game uh, like Call of Cthulhu if at least one player has no interest in that genre or that tone. So have that conversation. Some players are interested in anything you're willing to choose, and others are more particular. Again, it's less of an ask if you propose a one-shot or a mini-series. And don't forget yourself in the equation. Don't force yourself to do, I don't know, space opera if you have no interest in it, even if the players are pushing for it. Now, branding can be a help, especially if you need to recruit players. That's why you may be tempted to go with one version or other of Dungeons & Dragons, because it's the Kleenex of role-playing games. It's the best-known one. Or maybe a licensed game, if everyone in the group is a fan of Doctor Who, or Ghostbusters, Lord of the Rings, or James Bond, to name various examples. These have role-playing games built around them. So this might be an in from one interest into the other. You know, What's more important uh, to the new Game Master is the system. Or more specifically, system complexity and flexibility. Like most RPGs, I would say, are of intermediate difficulty. But the, the best can be scaled down. You know, can you move that cursor up or down based on your own abilities. That is to say, you don't need to use every little rule, not until you're ready for them. And then the essentials are fairly easy to figure out. Just figure out how to run simple combat and other types of challenges, and you should be good to go. Things like magic systems, gadgetry rules, complex character generation, building combat that is a lot more gritty where people are undercover or doing special maneuvers, that's what you get into later because they can gum up the works pretty quickly. So flipping through a game book's pages before making your decision is key. If you want to learn one system but you don't want to be strapped to a single genre, Please know that you do have options. GURPS, we mentioned this before. Savage Worlds, another one. Fate. These games can be adapted to different genres. And if you like a more cinematic or storytelling approach, look for anything that has uh, hero points or bennies. Sometimes they're called bennies or brownie points or cinematic points because these allow players to fudge roles or create other effects. Do you have a head for numbers? Do you want more options than a simple system allows? you should choose something that you can run, that you can run smoothly. So look for reviews online. I think a good places to go are BoardGameGeek or RPG.net to help determine if a system is for you. Borrow books from a friend. Do the research. Because you're going to invest money into this and you're going to be stuck with it. You're you know, going to have to play what you have. It has to work for you. And at the purely logistical level, is the game even available to you? So comics and game stores... Do tend to keep mostly current stuff. There are usually a good secondhand section somewhere uh, that may be worth mining. So even a costly game like D and D can be gotten at lower prices this way. Also on the more affordable side is the PDF option. So sites like Drive Through RPG uh, they sell game books in physical and or digital form, the latter being the cheaper option. Digital books are usually searchable, which makes them even more useful to new GMs, especially when you're looking for rules on the fly. Now next, you need to build on your strength. As a game master, you have three tasks. Set the stage, describe the action, the world, the atmosphere. Play every character who is not a player character. And third, interpret the rules, which is to say what must be rolled against what number at what difficulty, all of this. So we all have our strengths and weaknesses in each of these three fields, but the best GMs know how to capitalize on what they're good at in the game and out. So if you're good at doing characters and improvising, then focus on that second field, playing characters and work out adventures that are big on social interaction, you know, negotiation, diplomacy, seduction, comedy and low, comparatively low on the combat and dice rolling. If you're crafty, then use that to help set the scene. Make your own treasure maps, paint miniatures, make musical playlists. If you love reading and have a good memory, squeeze the juice out of that setting. If you're a bit of a writer, weave whatever the players say or do into your tapestry and make the plot more interconnected. And if you have a strategic mind and are adept at visualizing, well, make the fights vibrant and memorable. Also, identify your players' strengths and interests so that you can give them the right opportunities. Finally, the last step, maybe, is is to give yourself permission to make mistakes. Because you'll make them. might as well give yourself a pass from the outset. Know and let your players know what your actual level of experience is. When someone spots a mistake, either correct it or ignore it, depending on the situation, and just keep going. There's, There's no game killer, quite like getting mired in rules, minutia, and discussing them for too long. If you can't find a quick answer to a rules question, make up the answer, agree to it for the moment, tell your players you'll change the rule for the next session if you find the right one. If something bad happens, like a character's death because of your inexperience, those first-level characters shouldn't really be handling dragons, for example, interpret things differently. Have the character survive, but be captured, or fall into a pterodactyl's nest, or suffer terrible humiliation. So that way, the game continues, you adjust, but there are some entertaining consequences to be had and things that drive the story forward, basically, instead of stopping it in its tracks. Another easy mistake to make is pacing. You only want to do a one-shot, but things take too much time, and you'll get that, uh you know, to-be-continued feeling. Well, maybe your players are happy to come back, but keep an eye on the clock and give yourself permission to jump certain steps The door is not guarded, after all. The clue is just easier to find. And if it's combat that takes too long, don't be afraid to make the enemy retreat, surrender, or get killed with a few words in cases where it's clear the heroes are going to win and it's just taking forever to get the dice rolling done. It's a nice opportunity to let players describe some cool moves that they don't need to roll for. We talked about this in the last episode. If more experienced gamers are present, don't be afraid to lean on them. What is that rule again? Is this right? They'll know, or they'll have an opinion. But it's still your game, so don't let yourself be intimidated. If they can help, great. If they want to question and debate you at every turn, that's just going to slow down the game and make it a negative play experience for you, and for them. And that's the ultimate sin. Players can be a resource, but don't let them be a nuisance. I'll let you in on a secret anyway. The first time a group uses a certain system, Everyone at the table is trying to figure out the rules, and no one thinks less of the GM for being as confused as the players. We all work together, and we get there. So, based on this, who's starting a game? Let me know. Before we get into your feedback for the previous episode, I just want to mention that Steve Ellis and I were talking after the recording and uh we we realized that one of the influences on Superpowers must have been the Bwahaha Justice League, which is covered, you know, on this network by uh our friend Shag Matthews and so before he starts screaming at <laughs> you know at his at his pod device, Steve did say it was one of his favorite comics at the time. It was his favorite take on the Justice League. So yeah, that is obviously in the comedy of superpowers as well. It was coming out about the same time that they were developing this. Just setting the record straight, and uh, now let's talk about that previous episode in which we talked about GURPS Black Ops, which is sort of a GURPS Men in Black kind of thing. Magdana says, as a person who just recently got into DMing, oh, this is interesting, I really am enjoying all these episodes. I'm getting so much great information about how your players are really enjoying the storytelling aspects of the games, uh, and makes me want to try and incorporate more storytelling in my games. Even though the players, my kids, are more about, I want to use my axe to hit him. I feel like they would enjoy the game more if I emphasized the story or a hook and the general role playing of it all the more. So that's great to hear, uh, Mike. I, I think playing with kids is a whole different ball game where, you know, you were, and I haven't done that in, in years, you know, trying to get my, little brother and little sister into it. But I, I recognize the challenge. When I started, it was as a teenager, so the emphasis was more on the game aspect, uh, running through scenarios and combat. And, and We became more interested in the story aspect as we grew up, although some games I might run today still have a gamist aspect still you know the story is supposed to be central so playing with kids you're gonna have that that learning curve and you're gonna see it happen chris lewis says i'm going to put in a shout out for the uh, storium.com website uh, of which i'm a great fan and subscriber it's really a combination of online role playing and shared creative writing experience and it's that writing storytelling element that appeals most to me there are basic weaknesses and strengths for each player character which will be familiar from traditional RPGs, but there are no dice involved. Just some limitations to incorporate into the direction of the narrative. And, like Mike Danis, I really enjoy your GM tips feature. It's great to hear such uh, an experienced game narrator share his pearls of wisdom. The tip in that episode was about going diceless. Rob McCarthy here says, as a dude who gets very bored by high-level D&D people throwing planets at each other, but battles still taking a month, I'm all for diceless. There you go. Brian Linton says, it sounds like the high number of character creation points led to some issues for the players. With... One, figuring out how to spend all the points while still creating a unique character, and two, remembering all their skills and abilities during the actual game sessions. Looking back on the campaign, did the characters actually need all those points to survive the adventures, or would you decrease the number of points if you were to do this all over again? So I asked the players, actually, and Shalif answered this. He said, I wouldn't change a thing. I think the initial shock was due to this not being a common problem to face when playing tabletop RPGs. While we initially discuss the difficulty in making things different the way it ended up, Transpiring actually had all four of us know who each character was and what their speciality contributed. Really, what ended up occurring is that we, the players, found a way to reframe an RPG experience with the same concrete boundaries to which we were used and it became less about survivability and more about the narrative approach to resolving the issues in a way that emphasizes storytelling as the main driver. So that's Shalif. On my end, I just treated the PCs as nearly indestructible. So I threw everything possible at them, including Lovecraftian madness monsters, which are not built you know, to be battled. So in such a context, it doesn't really matter if it's 100 points, more or less. And Malk says, woo, The scope of those character sheets sure are something else. I've struggled with just making a second-level D&D character. My DM has to remind me midway through the first session that my dexterity was actually plus three instead of plus one. You'd think I'd have realized that, given I was playing a homebrew fairy race and based every single thing on the sheet around being an assassin. Thankfully, the flub matched the flavor, as their occupation was a fugue state completely unaware to them. My own piece of learned tabletop wisdom is... If you have a good in-fiction excuse for your own out-of-fiction incompetence, you'll be the most immersed player at the table. Well said. And on that, the Fire & Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. If you like this content want more like it, think about leaving a one-time or monthly donation. Let me also remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com, on the Fire & Water Facebook page, or on Twitter, where we are, FW Podcasts. You can also follow the show on Spotify under the uh, Fire and Water Presents feed. So until the next episode, let's roll. I am Pencil Head. And I am son of Pencil We erase crime.